ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the victory edition of the Lashing Out podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. I'm Kevin Quigley. He's Joe Smelzer. And lo- Joe, like I let off with, we got a victory to celebrate tonight. We do. And it wasn't a pretty win. I think um, James Franklin kind of hinted in his press conference that it was kind of an average performance by Penn State. He mentioned that he feels that the team needs work in all three phases. And I would agree with that. Certainly in the kicking game uh, with Sanders Jahedak missing those two relatively short field goals. Um, that's a concern. Um, last year, you saw that with Jake Pinniger. He was in year five at Penn State. So it's just a thing that happens with kickers, young and old. Uh, we'll see if he snaps out of it. Uh, but uh, yeah, I think overall, it's I would describe it as an average win that's glossed up by how good Drew Aller was. Um, I don't think there's really anything to complain about um, his debut um, at quarterback for Penn State. I think it was better than at least I expected it to be, and I'm sure a lot of people expect it to be, and we'll get more into that. But um, I think overall, uh, nothing to be concerned about, uh, nothing to worry about. Uh, getting the win was the most important thing, and at the end of the day, you have 11 games left, and as of now, all of Penn State's goals for 2023 are still right in front of it. Yeah, you you hit the nail on the head. It's week one, right? No team that played this week, and I would imagine, had their perfect game. The goal of week one is to get in, get into the groove of things and get the win, right? The NFL has preseason. They've got three weeks. They used to have four. They have three tune-up games to get into it. College football doesn't have that. College football, when the, the first time you kick off, that kickoff matters. Penn State was able to do things well. You mentioned the kicking game. Uh, I... I'm not sure why Alex Falcons didn't get the start based off the spring game. I mean, that, that guy was hitting 54 yarders in warmups, like actually snap and hold field goals on the wet turf at Beaver stadium. So kind of surprising that Sander got the start, not over Falcons, especially given Falcons is a what three-year starter at Columbia and their all-time leading score and whatnot. So that was kind of a surprising thing, but maybe James Franklin showing some loyalty to a, a guy who's been in the program longer, giving him the shot. Um, but yeah, Drew Aller absolutely shined last night. Couple, really only two bad decisions last night. And Penn State gets the win 38 to 15. And that's a score that's kind of deceiving because you do have the two missed field goals. You have really the first red zone trip and first trip inside the 10 yard line. Some iffy play calling there. You know, it's different calling plays inside the 10 yard line against a real defense who's actually trying to tackle your quarterback and actually trying to stop you versus white team versus blue team. So I I think with where we are now, it, the rest of the season's intact, like you said. And I mean, they got Delaware next week. So you kind of get that preseason game next week on, on at noon on Peacock. Yeah. And then you got another preseason game in the middle of October against UMass. Uh, so uh, we'll see. Um, I think we know how both of those games are going to go, but, um, I'm actually, the thing that excites me the most about playing Delaware is that I'll write my column for the next week before the game. I could write it right now, actually. And that column's going to be basically that the season starts week three at Illinois. I don't think there's any question about that. That's when we start to learn what this Penn State team is made of going on the road against a Big Ten opponent that won eight games last year and is, has an established head coach in Brett Bielma. Uh, that's going to be a test. Um, and, uh, James Franklin's not going to overlook 
this week with Delaware, obviously, but I think we can. So, yeah, the one and no mentality is certainly going to be intact for Delaware. But let's let's be real; it is an FCS opponent. So, um, yeah, it's what we wanted to see from the game last night. We saw. We saw Drew Aller's NFL caliber arm. I mean, there was a throw. I think it was in the second quarter to Trey Wallace. It was a comeback route going kind of fading out towards the sideline. Uh, We were going right to left on the screen if you're watching on television. And just thrown an absolute rope right over the linebacker. Trey Wallace runs a fantastic route, just hits him right in the numbers. And that's what we, that's what Penn State fans, Penn State media members were looking for last year. We got it in small doses, but guy comes out i think he was nine to ten for like 185 yards with like a 262 passer rating um early in the second quarter mid-second quarter so i i think the only concern that they're gonna have is is run defense um the middle of the defense is just a black hole but i mean give credit to garrett green the, that guy was playing his heart out he's a really good player on a team that's probably not very good around him and He's on a national stage and he gets a chance. He's probably not going to have too many big primetime games. You know, how often are they going to play a top 10 team in the country consistently on the broadcast? They were talking about how Penn State's going to be West Virginia's hardest opponent. So this is the, this is the game that really, he really had to showcase his talents. And I think he did that. And Penn State bent. They didn't break. They gave up that one touchdown early. And the starting defense only gave up 235 yards. Uh, the second the second touchdown that West Virginia scored was 10 play 75 yards. So Penn State gave up 310 yards total, but only 235 was given up by the actual defense. And really, West Virginia, a lot of punts, I think three, three turnovers on downs. You know, it's just, I think this team is prime and to have a power five matchup in week one, it's, it's always a risk. And I think Penn State properly, properly handled that. Yeah, and I think the biggest concern, uh, at least defensively, was that run defense. Uh, but at the same time, because I Izzard was out, um, Alonso Ford's going to be out for the year, so the front, um, at least the middle, um, of that defensive line uh, is going to have some problems, and uh, we'll see kind of what uh goes on with Izzard because James Franklin kind of went out of his way to talk about how he was going to be ready to go for Saturday in his Tuesday press conference, and then we get, um, I guess the first injury report in Beaver Stadium history and Izzard's on the report as not playing so who knows what's going on there uh we probably won't find anything out uh Tuesday or Wednesday knowing how James is but um yeah the defensive front was not at full strength uh, but I think um with guys like Hakeem Beeman who is now 20 pounds bigger uh Jordan Vandenberg has put on weight um and is an absolute uh physical specimen um yeah, I just think Zane Durant uh, getting the start. Uh, he's a guy that's still a young player, going to get better. So um, I think eventually uh, things are going to work themselves out, and this is going to be an interesting test for Dion Barnes in his first year as defensive line coach because we know what the guys on the edge are going to do. They don't have to prove anything. Chop Robinson may be a first-round pick at this Isaac, fifth-year guy. More death pieces down the line that we can talk about. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how – Dion's able to work um with the guys in the middle and see what he's able to do because that's that's a question mark for this team right now. Yeah, it, it certainly is, and there's definitely going to be room to grow. Um, and you know what? In the second segment, why don't we talk about people 
also in their first year of their big role on the Lashing Out Podcast and the Esports Now Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the second segment of the Lashing Out Podcast. He's Joe. I'm Kevin. Joe, there was some brand new starting wide receivers first year in their role, and Keandre Lambert-Smith came out with an absolute bang to start the game. Yeah, he did come out with a bang, that 72-yard score, and he probably would have had another even longer score. Um, there was a bit of a, a misstep with Drew Allers' pass. I think he threw it a little too hard, uh, hit Keandre in the hands. Um, maybe a little blame to go around for both parties. Uh, but at the end of the day, four catches, I think 123 yards and two touchdowns. That's pretty good. And then you follow that up with uh, that Rose Bowl, uh, which was really a coming out party for KLS. Uh, um, there's, um, I think he safely has the number one receiver spot on lock um, if he didn't already, but he's definitely affirmed that um, in week one. Um, and I think the biggest thing about uh, this receiving core is nine guys caught passes for Penn State. There were two running backs and one tight end, and then six wide receivers all caught passes. Um, and I think all, all of them were from Drew Hour. I don't think – did Bo Cabrillo complete a pass? I don't think he did. One for one for seven yards to Malik Mega. Okay, so that would have been five wide receivers that our uh, completed passes to, but the point still stands, and – this was a group uh, coming in. Um, there were a few areas I think that people talked about with Penn State as question marks. Uh, defensive tackle, we talked about that. Uh, the secondary was something that James Franklin himself mentioned was a question mark at Big Ten Media Days, um, losing Joey Porter Jr. and Jair Brown. Uh, the kicking game, uh, that's pretty evident. We talked about that too. And then the receivers, how are you going to account for the losses of Parker Washington and Mitchell Tinsley? But if last night was any indication, uh, they're going to be okay. They have, I don't think you have a guy like Jahan Dotson or Allen Robinson or Chris Godwin, but that's a pretty high bar. I don't think it would have been fair to expect anybody to be like that, but I think there's depth um in this receiving core. Uh, you talk about uh, Liam Clifford, who I think a lot of people were surprised to see his name uh, come across the starting lineup and introductions and, Two catches for 25 yards isn't anything crazy, but one of them was a 17-yarder, and then another one was an 8-yarder that I'm pretty sure was a first down. So two pretty opportune catches for Liam Clifford. And then a guy I want to talk about is Malik McLean. Uh, that's a guy who I don't know was getting a lot of love in the preseason, didn't show too much at Florida State, um, or else he'd probably still be at Florida State uh, playing against LSU right now. But uh, – Four catches, 58 yards, his first Penn State touchdown. Um, That's pretty encouraging. And even further encouraging still is that uh, next year, Keontra Lambert-Smith's probably going to be gone, and Dante Sivas will be gone. He'll be out of eligibility, and guys are going to have to step up. And if last night's any indication, I know it's a small sample, uh, Malik McLean and Harrison Wallace are going to be two guys that will be pretty solid options for Drew Auer in 2024. Certainly. And you mentioned Clifford, Liam Clifford being the surprise kind of dude, him wearing number two last night was absolutely throwing it off. But really the, the true slot guy is going to be Omari Evans. You have KLS quick shifty as the X, and then you're going to have Omari Evans in the slot. Good luck playing defense on those two speedsters. Both of them are really extremely quick. 
Yeah. Then you have Malik Malik McLean, 6'4", 206, and Trey Wallace, who's just going to be an absolute possession receiver. Eight targets, seven catches, 72 yards last night, long as 18, so remarkably consistent. That's just going to be the guy. That's going to be the go-to guy on third down. Like The drop, I really don't think it was a drop. It was That was the second play uh, from the second goal in the seven-yard line, and kind of a high ball. I, I think that's more on Drew than it is on Trey Wallace, but the stats guy said that, that was actually a drop. Um, KLS, I, he did not get a drop for that third down, or was it third down or fourth? I think it was third down, the slant route. Well, Drew, it was third down, yeah. Yeah, Drew kind of threw it low and to his knee on running away from him. So, yeah, I wide receiver depth is is crazy on this team. And Omari Evans making the injury report, he was questionable for this week. And I think, you know, the juice wasn't worth the squeeze. It's not going to be worth, like, say it's like a quad or a hamstring, man. Like, get another two weeks of rest. Get West, take this week off. Obviously, take next week off. We, you're not going to need to tweak your hamstring. I, I'm not speculating on injuries, but let's just say it's a muscle injury where, like, two more weeks gets that guy healthy for the rest of the year versus pushing it and get just to be out there for week one. Clearly, this team has depth, so get him healthy, and you have four stud wide receivers across the board, and you got two in reserve. And Theo Johnson didn't even get a target last night. Neither did. I don't even think Khalil Dinkins had a snap. Jerry Cross didn't have a snap last night, I don't think, unless it was really late in mop-up time. But Well, I saw Khalil was in the T formation a few times. He was uh, dotting the T. So, um, but yeah, not. I didn't see him very much on passing downs, if at all. So, yeah, and I, I, I don't think that they did the, the they did the best job of rotating people in. They got the depth guys in late, but I, I think there are some opportunities. Maybe you know, maybe you have Abdul take a series off and get Tony Rojas in there, or give Kobe King off and get. Um, Tamir Robinson in there. So it's kind of, or Curtis Jacobs and get Curtis Jacobs off to get Tamir Robinson. And so I think there was a little bit better opportunity for them to rotate some guys. I didn't see denied Dennis Sutton until like the second half. I, I don't, I don't know if he took a snap in the first half, but I didn't wreck. I didn't realize that if he did, I don't know, maybe he had like a first half suspension or just like, Hey man, like we got to get Adisa and chop going. So you're going to, you're going to play the second half. So I, I thought it was a little bit of a weird rotation last night. Um, but this team is loaded. And uh, like I said earlier, this team, West Virginia didn't move the ball after their second drive, uh, until they put the reserves in. So, um, yeah, West Virginia had drives of 32, three minus two minus one forty eight and 17 yards with the starting defense after their first two drives went for a punt and then their third drive went for a touchdown. So yeah, I, I'm looking forward to this weekend being, the ability to um, really get that depth, building that depth, and um, you know maybe maybe we can see some some more uh, dynamic play calling. Yeah, I think we'll see that. And there's you mentioned Amari Evans, Anthony Ivy was scratched too, so we didn't get to see any of him. Uh, Kane Sanders is somebody who um, people forget in that celebrated 2022 class that has already paid dividends and is going to be playing dividends for the next two years. Kane Saunders, um, aside from obviously our Singleton, Katron Allen, uh, Deny Dennis Sutton, I think, and Abdul Carter, but actually going back at least from when they signed 
I would argue that Caden Saunders came in with as much hype as probably Abdul Carter or Kate or uh, Katron Allen did, but he's kind of been lost in the shuffle last year. Obviously it was a veteran receiver core uh, this year. Um, he was used at least last night, primarily as a punt returner, but you got to wonder when uh, he's going to start to make an impact in this receivers room. So Anthony Ivy is the guy that's impressed on the scout team. Uh, Kane Saunders came in with a lot of pedigree uh, from his high school career uh, playing in Ohio. But uh, yeah, this uh, the receiving, and I wrote about this uh, today on Mini Sports Now, the receiving core seems to be well on its way to both answering questions um, and reassuring uh, Penn State fans about what it is capable of. Yeah, and really, I think the only question mark, other question mark we have, um, I do not envy Caden Saunders having to try to break through a six or an eight-man deep wide receiver room. Um, but I think the wide receivers answered the question that we had preseason. I don't think the offensive line solidified their hype last night. They showed Caden Wallace blocking down on the one sack that Drew Aller had like Drew Aller got absolutely hit on that play and Caden Saunders drops down and leaves Theo Johnson one-on-one with a DN I thought JB Nelson did okay um but I mean Landon Landon Tangwell didn't retire until or didn't announce I mean he could have been out with an injury but it wasn't announced until this week on Tuesday so maybe that offensive line doesn't quite have the chemistry yet and that's that's one of those things that's going to come as the season progresses. So I I'm not writing this offensive line off as being terrible, but there's a lot of bright spots and I don't think the offensive line particularly shined. Yeah. At the same time though, Olu was Olu. I mean, no pressures allowed in 31 snaps uh, has only allowed. I was reading, reading up on this um, NFL rookie watch, watch a good Twitter account. I kind of went in depth and, I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but I want to say like uh, of above uh, 300 pass blocking reps, he's allowed five pressures over his Penn State career. Um, didn't allow any QB hits, pressures, anything like that last night. Obviously, no sacks. Uh, so when the anchor of your offensive line, I know Norzad is technically the anchor because he's a center center, but Olu is the star on this offensive line, and if he's playing well, obviously that's a good sign. Uh, but you're right overall. Um. A lot to be desired uh, for that unit. Um, Tangwall being out hurts. JB Nelson held his own, as you mentioned. Um, there were, uh, I don't know if you noticed this, but I definitely noticed uh, there were, there seemed to be some snap issues uh, with Norzad. Some of the snaps seemed to be a little high. Um, high and know hot. Were... High and hot. He threw some fastballs yeah. back there last night. Yeah, I, I don't know if that was intentional. I don't know why it would be. I just think there might have been some issues. Uh, and Norzad's a guy that hasn't – he's not a traditional center, right? He's kind of played everywhere, but now he's in that center role. Um, but he's a pro. He'll get it together. And I don't think there's any – there's much reason to worry um, about this offensive line. Having Tang Wall out sucks badly, both for him first and foremost for Landon Tang Wall. We talked about that on the last episode, but – uh yeah, there were some kinks to work out. Um, but about this, no holding penalties. Uh, so that's obviously a good thing. Yeah, it certainly was, and I think maybe being a little bit harsh, West Virginia came out and wanted to stop the run. They're playing cover zero and said Drew Aller beat us, and guess what he did? 
But Nick Singleton and K-Trad Allen only combined for 63 yards in the first half. They got 146 overall last night. And really, those runs in the second half, there were a couple where Katron and Nick just got tripped up by their shoelaces and they were or they were housing it. And I think that's something to watch is how well does the offensive line start identifying that pressure? And once teams actually have to respect Drew Aller's arm, which I think everything he did last night, there's really only two bad throws. Um, The one in the first half, he's probably just not used to having defensive ends of that athleticism in high school being able to get their mid up and or their big paw up and deflect balls and then the one in the end zone I think it was just a little bit late a little bit behind so um probably could have had two interceptions last night luckily none of them were neither of them were caught but West Virginia didn't believe that Drew Aller could beat them and I think he put defenses on notice like the videos that you've seen on Twitter of him working out with his QB coach or from spring game or from practices that have gotten out, it's like, no, those, those, those are legit. And they come, uh, they come out on Saturdays too. They're not just practice throws. They're not just underwear Olympics throws and in a gym somewhere. It's those, those are, those are true throws. And I think teams will have to start respecting that. And then I think that will open it up for Katron and Nick because those two, I, I tell you there, I think I saw like three or four plays where it's like, man, if, if they just didn't quite get their pinky toe grabbed, man, they were they were housing it for 65, 70 yards. So I think it's I think it's another key thing to look at is West Virginia came dialing up the pressure last night. So maybe maybe I'll back off on the hot take that their offensive line isn't as good as as we thought it would be. Yeah, credit uh West Virginia's uh defensive line too. I think coming in, um everybody there were people that thought um West Virginia had the edge in the trenches on offense, and that proved to be right. Um, I think they won the battle up there. And then I think you could argue they won the battle um, defensively, uh, standing up to Penn State's offensive line. I think Auer got sacked once, uh, and he responded to that with a first down pass on second and 16 to Trey Wallace. So that's another uh, example of the mental aspect of Drew Auer's game. But they were in his face. Uh, they – um, almost got home at least one overtime I can think of. And uh, yeah, I think West Virginia's defensive line, uh, if I'm a West Virginia fan, I'm encouraged by that because they did, I think, a much better job holding their own against this um, hyped-up Penn State offensive line than uh, people thought they would. Yeah, and I, I certainly agree. But why don't we get to the third segment? We can talk about another team that has a lot of hype surrounding it. Uh, we'll talk about that when we come back from the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast on the Esports Now Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the third and final segment of the Lashing Out Podcast. I'm Kevin. He's Joe. Joe, we lot off. So finals, the second segment with a team that lived up to a lot of hype, and that was Colorado and Shadur Sanders. But the funniest thing I saw yesterday was the standing in solidarity of the Michigan offense holding up the number four for Jim Harbaugh as if uh, he wasn't suspended justly, as if he was, you know, sick or broke his leg or something, man. That was, woe is me, man. Woe is me. Yeah, and it was the self-imposed suspension. Um, I think I saw. Well, was it 
it might not have been J.J. McCarthy, but it might have been. But it was a player wearing a free heart, like a free coach Harbaugh sh- something shirt. And Michigan imposed a suspension. It was self-imposed. You're not freeing him from anything. That's just that's just very odd. And it was equally odd for Michigan's Twitter account, football Twitter account, to promote what had happened. If I'm the Twitter guy, I'm just ignoring that and waiting for an endless abundance of videos that I could post throughout a, a game that wouldn't get um, a negative reaction. But that was just odd. And uh, yeah, but he mentioned Colorado. He said Colorado lived up to the hype. I think Colorado far exceeded the hype. Now, part of it is because TCU might might well not be very good this year. They were very fortunate in a lot of games last year. Uh, Cinderella 12-0 and 0, um, had that Cinderella win Michigan and then uh, obviously midnight came uh, in, in a big way against Georgia and the worst national championship ever. But TCU is only returning three starters this year. Max Duggan's gone. Uh, they, that might just not be a very good football team that Colorado beat. But um, Colorado came in, I think most people were thinking, okay, uh, Dion's going to talk. Uh, he's going to be funny. He's going to give us a ton to write about, but they're going to win three games. And I think Colorado, uh, they're not going to beat Oregon. Uh, they're not going to beat USC, but they might uh, They might be around 500 or slightly better than that. Uh, and uh, Dion's son is a ball at 500 yards, 520 yards, whatever you threw for. Uh, I don't care who you're playing against. Uh, that's You can play if you do that at the Power 5 level. And then uh, Travis Hunter, man, I don't know if they can sustain playing him for 100-plus snaps or whatever at receiver or quarterback, but there's a reason that he was the number one player in the country, and he definitely made a statement. Now, So when you have two players like that and you're playing in a league that isn't very good like the Pac-12 is, uh, who knows what could happen? And I think Colorado didn't convince me that they're going to be among college football's elite or even the Pac-12's elite, but I'm convinced that this can be a winning team in year one. And by a winning team, I mean a winning record, seven and five, eight and four, whatever. It wouldn't be much at a lot of places, but getting to a bowl game would be a big deal for Colorado football. And that definitely has a chance of happening based on week one. Certainly. And any turnaround from one and 11 to put up 45 points and Shadour to throw for 510 yards to the air. That's impressive. I think the question mark is was Shadour what he was going to like, what he was doing at Jackson state. Could he replicate that at big time D one college football? Cause Jackson state's what FCS. So that's a next level up. If you can throw it against FCS, can you throw it against FBS? And I think he did answer that question. Uh, I see Colorado probably losing the third game. They're at Oregon the following week, right after they have to play USC. And then they end the season on the road at Utah. So there's a guaranteed, I don't want to say guaranteed, but there's a strong likelihood that those are three losses right there. So probably nine and three is their ceiling. But yeah, it's, it was just so impressive. Travis Hunter, 11 catches, 119 yards and, yeah, I, I don't know how good TCU is going to be. This is this is the penalty of having top 25 rankings to start the college football season. They came out 17th, and I think that was just a favor because how in the hell can you 
have a team make the college football playoff, make the national title game, and then not be ranked the following year. And uh, I think you saw why, because TCU is is going to be bad this year. They have, like you said, I think three returning starters on offense. They put eight guys in the NFL last year. It's it's hard for a program like TCU to recover. It, they're not Ohio State. They're not Michigan. They're not Alabama. They're not Georgia, who are consistently graduating eight players to the NFL every year. They're TCU. They graduate one or two players a year, and last year, lightning just happened to strike. So I, I'm interested to see how it goes. I think it's exciting for college football. ESPN was lighting up ever, all over the place. Dion's going to give you primetime billboard material, and I think it's going to be a great story to follow for for the college football season, but I, I like I like you said, I don't think they're going to be threatening the top ten in in the rankings. So we'll see how that goes elsewhere. Uh, Alabama looked great, like they do. Ohio State didn't really impress me. Uh, Twenty three to three against Indiana. Um, Kyle McCord probably didn't have his finest outing. We'll see how that goes. And then, man, Caleb Williams, this really is his Heisman to lose. Uh, let's see. He had 319 yards, five touchdowns on a 66 to 14 route of Nevada. Uh, any other games that stood out to you, Joe? Um, I would say Baylor losing to Texas State probably. Uh, that probably stood out. Uh, yeah, that's. I miss that. Baylor, that, that hurts. Baylor's been they've been boomer busts right for probably the past several years. Uh, Obviously, the end of the Art Briles era was a complete train wreck. Matt Rule did a hell of a job building it back up. Um, and they stayed competitive after Matt Rule left uh, for the NFL. But now it looks like they might be going back down. Uh, and I feel like Michigan State football is kind of the same way. So, I don't know. Maybe it's something about teams that were green. Yeah, it very well could be. Uh, the other the other game, the last game going on, well, I guess we got Clemson-Duke tomorrow, but Florida State LSU is going on right now, 17 to 14, uh, early in the third quarter. And I think I think this game is the prime example of don't don't read too much in to week one. I mean, these teams are playing sloppy, but there's still going to be teams. They they have flashes of being really good teams. They're just not refined. I think LSU got it down to the two yard line. I think they had four or five plays inside the five yard line uh, on their first drive and Florida State stuffed them. So uh, I think if you're watching that game or you're watching any game early in the season, uh, just be mindful that these teams don't have that preseason. So, you know, Penn State's a little bit rusty here, a little bit rusty there. Um, I think it's going to be A-OK because I don't think anybody's overreacting on LSU or Florida State being really sloppy. Those two teams notoriously overranked, but I think I think it's good good caution to see teams elsewhere. Like I mentioned, Ohio state, other teams, just not quite impressing to where we think they are, but the season's season's long. We got 11 weeks left and um, we'll be back on probably Thursday. I think Wednesday was a little bit too early release the pregame. So we're going to release it on Thursday this week. Um, If you happen to find us, like us, rate us, review us, subscribe, share it with your friends, tell your dog about us. If you have to, um, just spread the word. We're trying to build this thing up, and I think we got some good momentum, Joe. For Joe, this has been Kevin Quigley on the Lashing Out Podcast on the Nittany Sports Now Network. We'll catch you again later this week with the Delaware Preview.